it's monday and that so happens to be the day that i like to talk about monsters hello and welcome to monster mondays i'm jeff arbuckle co-host of the podcast film seizure that you can catch each wednesday at filmseizure.com or at a number of podcast providers online it's time to check back in with the friend of all the children that's right i'm going to be talking about gamera this week our giant turtle friend is taking on a mythical creature who is awoken by the removal of an ancient statue jiger now the origin of this movie is mostly based on a couple of things going on at the time the first was a fad that started cropping up in boys magazines in japan they started featuring a lot of tales legends and whatnot about ancient civilizations so it really wasn't a bad idea to connect gamera's next monster rival around something that is connected to an artifact not only that but this movie is also directly tied to something else going on in 1970 expo 70 expo 70 was the shorthand name for the japan world exposition osaka 1970 and that was the name of the world's fair for that year and it's the first of its kind in japan and osaka will actually be hosting a similar world expo in 2025 but expo 70 was featured in a lot of pop culture things in japan not only was this movie directly connected with the event but later on, the seventh episode of the first series of Common Rider was filmed at the expo as well. But it doesn't stop there. Several Japanese movies, television shows, and manga all featured moments, plot lines, or climaxes that directly connect to Expo 70. It's like the Japanese people saw this as a particularly important cultural moment for them. And it makes sense, too, because this film or because this fair was the first time since the end of World War II that the eyes of the entire world was on Japan and the expo would run for six months. So they had a lot of time to kind of show off to the world the advances that they had made over the past 25 years. Now, other important things of note about Expo 70 was that the first ever IMAX film was screened there. It was a Canadian-produced short called Tiger Child. Over in the United States Pavilion, you could see a large moon rock that was excavated and brought back to Earth by Apollo 12. In addition, early cell phone tech was shown off, as well as the internet technology known as local area networking, otherwise known as LAN, to basically connect computers together. So the early stages of the internet was starting to kind of show itself. And of course, because it's Japan, you have some sushi conveyor belts and maglev train tech for elect electromagnetic train rails. And of course, like I said, because it's Japan, both of these things are used heavily over there. And maglevs are actually used in just about every continent. Um, I'm not so sure about the United States, Canada, or, or Mexico, but certainly they're used in Germany and Europe and in other uh, parts of Asia as well. But a couple of more things of note. Special effects wizard Douglas Trumbull took inspiration from the landmark tower at Expo 70 for the design of the freighter Valley Forge in 1971 Silent Running. Silent Running, interestingly enough, was the inspiration taken by Joel Hodgson uh, to be trapped in a ship with robots that he built himself to keep him company from Mystery Science Theater 3000. Now, the Gamera films got a lot of play on Mystery Science Theater 3000, but Gamera vs. Jiger is one of only a couple of movies in the Showa-era series of Gamera films 
to not be featured in the original run of Mystery Science Theater 3000, but it was finally covered last year in Season 13 of the series. Lastly, Gamera vs. Jiger was released on March 21, 1970, only six days after the opening of Expo 70. Uh, it was likely all part of a concerted effort to tie as much stuff together with Expo 70 in advance and during the Expo's run. However, Daiei Film, the production company in charge of the Gamera series, uh, was explicitly forbidden from having Gamera or Jiger destroy any building, even though it would be a miniature, that would be found at Expo 70. And it's kind of wild to think about that concept because... Even though it was of great national pride to be hosting the World's Fair, I do think the U.S. would have thought about it a different way. Think about 1996's Independence Day. Every single iconic building in the cities where the spaceships appeared were destroyed. The Capitol Records Tower in Los Angeles, the Empire State Building in New York, the White House, you get it. Um, going back to other sci-fi invasion movies of decades past, I mean, there have always been moments of recognizable things getting blown up or having something crash into it etc but that was just not going to fly in japan in the lead up to expo 70 but now 53 years later there isn't really much left of the expo 70 site some of the buildings still remain or have been repurposed over the years for the most part today the two main things that do still remain or have been built in the decade since are Expo Commemoration Park, which is mostly in an educational area with lots of greens, uh, like green fields, flowers, trees, and various recreation areas. And part of the area was built into Expo City, which is a commerce mall that also features a huge Ferris wheel. But for this movie, it opens with, what else? A leading kid character. This kid named Hiroshi is waiting on his sister Miko's boyfriend, Kaisuke, uh, so that they can go together to the Expo 70 site. Now, Kaisuke works at Expo, and he talks about what the Expo will be and what it's about. And it's kind of like a travel log of sorts. Kaisuke uh, brings up a mysterious statue that was discovered on Wester Island, which is a small island in the Pacific Ocean. While the Expo is about technology, modern culture, and the future, he is uh, something of an archaeologist, so he wants to include artifacts from the past as well. However, there is kind of a problem. A local from Wester Island is rather upset about the possibility of removal of that mysterious statue that is called, of all things, the Devil's Whistle. Uh, Kaizuki tries to explain to the Islander, but the Wester Islander it just goes on and on about Jiger, something that they don't recognize the word for. But unfortunately for the natives, work on Wester Island is beyond the point of stoppage, so they plan to just take it anyway. That's pretty keen of them but as the crew begins to excavate the devil's whistle gamera suddenly shows up gamera being a pretty progressive guy is on the side of the locals uh, he tries to stop the excavation but is ultimately unsuccessful in fact he's actually pretty upset about the removal of the statue and it comes off like he's trying to attack the archaeologist teams um but it's Probably his mood is probably not helped by that much by the crew shooting at him as he tries to get their attention to stop the removal of the statue. But quickly, 
the removal of that statue proves to be a bad idea. Instantaneously, a volcano erupts, um, and the statue is constantly letting out this kind of high-pitched whine that ends up driving some of the crew crazy. It also makes several people from the crew sick as well. And, of course, it obviously awakens the giant killer monster Jiger, which happens to be a female monster. Um, and she's a four-legged creature that is able to fire quills from her face. Now, the crew, led by an American and his family, believe that Gamera tried to attack them and kill him. Um, the head archaeologist kid tommy tells hiroshi that he thinks his faith in gamera is nothing but bunk but hiroshi says that gamera was only trying to communicate and he's not like he can talk so he must have had a reason for being kind of aggressive now hiroshi is a smart kid as are all children in these gamera movies and guesses it had to be about the removal of that statue that that Gamera just didn't like. But once Jiger awakens, she and Gamera tussle pretty much immediately, and she does prove to be pretty tough. She has some flying capabilities. Um, she has horns. She shoots quills that prevent Gamera from being able to retract his limbs to use his turbo boosters to fly and chase after her once she begins searching for the devil's whistle. Now, Jiger uh pretty much smashes her way into osaka but here's the deal the devil's whistle emits that whining sound right well as much as that bugs people and drives some of them crazy it's actually painful to jiger so she needs to destroy it or toss it into the ocean or bury it back into the ground to finally be free of the pain um gamera is finally able to get the quills out of his limbs and follows jiger to osaka where he faces off for round two against her now gamera does much better this time he knows how to neutralize her quills um, and is able to get some good hits in including grabbing her by the tail and smashing her into the ground however things go south when jiger grabs gamera and basically uses her tail stinger to jab gamera in the lungs Gamera stumbles uh, toward the water and collapses. There he falls into a coma. This is where something that happens in all these Gamera movies take place. The quote-unquote Gamera is defeated and may not be able to stop the monster foe segment. However, this time it comes with a pretty spectacular twist. That thing that Jiger stuck him with wasn't a stinger with poison or anything like that. When scientists examine the comatose Jiger, they discover that... J or the comatose gamer, I'm sorry, they discover that Jiger implanted an egg directly into Gamera's lungs. Now check this out. Gamera's head fell into the water with his mouth open. And on top of that, Hiroshi's father built a small submarine for Expo 70. Considering that operating on Gamera seems pretty impossible, and the adults weighing all the possibilities of what to do about Jiger decide that helping Gamera was only the suggestion of a couple of dumb kids. So Hiroshi and Tommy come up with a plan to hijack one of Hiroshi father's uh, submarines and go inside Gamera to find the baby Jiger and deal with it. And this actually works. Uh, they take the sub into Gamera's mouth and they find the baby Jiger. This is a, a miniature version of basically the same larger mama Jiger. The one main difference is instead of using quills, it actually shoots out this like this slippery kind of goo 
type of stuff. Um, it also, it's kind of sticky, but it's also like a slick. Um, but they do realize that the baby has the same weakness to noise as its mother does. So they use some white noise from their walkie talkies, uh, to kill baby Jiger. However, Gamera is not able to recover on his own. So Hiroshi and Tommy, you know, make one more trip inside Gamera where they stick power lines directly to Gamera's heart to basically jolt him back to life. All the humans work together on this while giant speakers have been set up in Osaka to halt Jiger by way of using low frequency noise uh, to basically immobilize her as much as possible. But once revived, Gamera flies to Jiger for their final showdown. Jiger tries to use her arsenal, but Gamera, you know, he's pretty smart and has ways to avoid those attacks. Now, Gamera is able to beat Jiger up enough to basically peel off and retrieve the devil's whistle from where Jiger tossed it into the ocean earlier. Things get pretty rough for Jiger as Gamera basically takes that statue and shoves it right into her skull and kills her. Gamera then flies off holding Jiger for all the, you know, to see his trophy kill. And that's the end of the movie. But let's talk about those three things I liked about Gamera versus Jiger. First, I like that this is basically tied to that Expo 70 celebration in 1970. Sure, I talked about this a lot earlier, but there is something kind of nice, albeit quaint, that the movie, uh, that a movie that is very Japanese in its nationality got behind this very Japanese celebration. Yes, there is a little bit of nationalism, but I think it was mostly harmless and probably mostly um, inoffensive. Uh, it was probably neat for kids during that time to be able to go visit the World's Fair. And that was very clearly the target audience for this movie. So I do like this was all connected, even if the production was hampered to not directly threaten the thing by having either monster like destroy a building. Still, it's a neat thing to see something so closely connected between a giant monster movie and a real life thing that Japan was very proud of. Second, of all the Gamera sequels, I, I have to admit this one's probably my favorite. It's got a wider range of ideas it's playing with from ancient cultures, having a way to keep Jiger from uh, waking up to the parasitic concept of Jiger impregnating Gamera. While this movie, like all of the films in the series, is obviously angling for a younger audience and typically features kids as the leads, Hiroshi and Tommy are not annoying characters. They are active in the plot and neither stumble into the action nor do they do obnoxious things to create the action of the movie, uh, you know, compared to, say, Gamera versus Garen. It almost feels like the audience isn't the seven to nine year old kids that they're shooting for, but more along the lines of maybe preteen kids that would take an interest in the expo and be able to understand some of the higher minded concepts that came along with the Jiger character's backstory, her arsenal, her parasitic nature and all of that. In fact, they even show a clip of a parasite that infected a, um, uh, an elephant's trunk and how they cut it open and all these worms fell out of it. I mean, this was some, I mean, this was biology class essentially. So it seemed to be angling for a little bit older of an audience. Now, thirdly, 
Jiger is an interesting monster. It has that array of things to make Gamera's life hard. She has those horns to stick you with. She has little thrusters behind her jowls that gave her limited flight and definitely more momentum when she was attacking. She shoots those quills uh, out of those horns to give Gamera a lot of trouble too. Jiger can also emit a heat ray from her forehead that can blow up a bunch of tanks and turn people into skeletons. It doesn't work on Gamera because they figure the Gamera shell or his thicker skin or whatever wasn't affected by it but it's still there um but maybe the most surprising thing is that hidden feature in her tail where she can extend a little stinger now it doesn't just stab a target and it's not an injector for you know venom or anything but it impregnates whatever she jabs with it in this case it's kind of like alien she puts a baby jiger into gamera and it grows within gamera assumably to basically take over its body and bust out of it once it's basically used up all of Gamera's life force, um, which is pretty sick if you think about it. But um, that is the case until Hiroshi and Tommy have to go in after it. It's actually kind of brilliant. And the fact that Hiroshi and Tommy were able to stop that thing, again, makes their characters that much more effective in the full plot. Now, one small thing that Jiger does that I actually love in this movie is what she does immediately after waking up from thousands of years of sleep. She busts out of her mountain or hill or whatever she was in. And uh, as you do after a good long sleep, she immediately goes over to the nearby pond and takes a drink. That's great. It, it makes a ton of sense, too. I mean, this the first thing I do when I wake up from just a single night's rest is get a drink. So imagine how thirsty she has to be after thousands and thousands of years. It's almost humanizing in a way where it's like, well, yeah, of course she's, she's woken up now, but before she can go chasing after the devil's uh, whistle, eh, she needs to stop and get a little bit of a drink to, to kind of wet her whistle a little bit. It's kind of, it, it's just a fun little uh, thing that was added in that, Probably, I don't know if it was in the script or if it was thought up right there on the spot, but it's fun. That wraps up this week's Monster Mondays. You can catch new episodes of Monster Mondays each Monday at FilmSeizure.com. But don't forget to follow Film Seizure at Facebook, Threads, and Instagram. And also subscribe to Film Seizure to get both the Film Seizure podcast on Wednesdays and Monster Mondays on Mondays at your favorite podcast providers as well as YouTube. You can also check out my website, bmovieanima.com, to read new reviews every Friday morning. Next time, we'll get a little bit more modern and a little bit more North American with our next monster film. In 1997, Guillermo del Toro came to America after making his independent Mexican movie, Kronos, and made a movie for Miramax that features some creepy crawly bugs that was called Mimic. So until next week, stay spooky. <laughs>